When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Midweek uh, Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Realston and whether you like me or not, uh, it's going to be good news or bad news because I'm back again today, unfortunately, or fortunately. Um, I was obviously recording in the Monday edition with Samuel Luckhurst, but I'm back uh, recording with Tyrell Marshall for the, I believe it's called Rough and Ready, isn't it Ty? The, the new podcast name? It is, mate. Yeah, and it's looking even rougher and readier with with your with your presence in in midweek. I would say, Stephen. I think I led myself into that one. Uh, Rich is obviously off today, so I'm doing the job he did last week in, in filling in. I've had some rotation, moving players around. Um, but it's supposed to be a bit more of a chat. This this podcast tie, a bit more conversational. Uh, we're going to look at a few transfer bits, a bit of gossip, uh, look at Sancho's time at Dortmund, discuss Mason Mount, and I think the second part you'll be with our chief city writer, Sly Bajkowski to sink your teeth into Omar Parada's uh, arrival at Old Trafford a bit more. So that'll be pretty interesting, but I'll be getting kicked off for that part. So don't worry, you don't have to spend too much longer with me, Ty. Um, we've been asked to to look at the signings then over the last 15 years or so post-Ferguson and just why have they been so bad? But if I was to ask you that question, you had the answer. It's almost a million dollar question, isn't it? You'd, I don't think you'd be uh, a journalist, you'd be doing some other role. Yeah, I mean, it's it's impossible to know, I guess, isn't it? And there's so many varying reasons for, for why they've been bad, bad players, bad structures, signing players for, for one manager and then replacing the manager. That's something that could rear its head again in the next six months, I guess. There's just, there's so many reasons why they've been bad that it's impossible to put your finger on on one of them, really. And so, you know, so, so many of them are confusing in a way because you look at players like, you know, Harry Maguire and Fred, um, and Alexis Sanchez, United beat City to the signing of those three players. And they were all, you know, I, I mean, Alexis Sanchez was a disaster. Fred wasn't a disaster in the end, but he never really looked like a £50 million player. Maguire has been up and down, clearly isn't an £80 million defender. I think they overpaid for, for Maguire. And Omar Barada has, has explained uh, in the past why City pulled out, and that's because United overpaid. So, you know, maybe he'll bring some kind of checks and balances to this, but there's just there's so many reasons as to why they've failed. And, you know, they've, they've not all failed. There's been some successes in there, but... Failure is a big word, isn't it? I mean, you look at Maguire, yeah. because of the price they paid, you'd have to consider it a failure. But you had, his first two seasons were excellent. The second, the next two after that were really poor. And this season's a bit of a mixed bag, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think he's been pretty good this season. Um, but like you say, he, he had two disastrous seasons. But it was only in mid-2021 where, you know, his, his fitness leading up to the Europa League final was basically a daily bulletin. And it was felt that United had a much lesser chance against Villarreal if Maguire wasn't fit. So it, it, it is, failure is a big word. And I certainly wouldn't put Maguire down as a, as a total failure. I think the price tag was always an issue. They clearly overpaid for him and paid it all in, in one lump sum. I mean, Leicester absolutely did a number on United. And, and that's probably been the case too often, really. That's been the case with Anthony. Um, so, you know, there's been a habit of overpaying for players. Schweinsteiger, they got totally done again on that. There was no thought as to why Bayern was so happy to, to let him out the door. 
But, you know, you, there's just there's so many transfers and such varying reasons as to why they failed. And part of the reason so many failed is there's been rarely been any stability above them, really. You know, managers have changed a lot. So a lot of those, well, all of those managers have failed, you would have to say. So there is, you know, there's, there's a lot of sort of reasons why, why, the, why these players have gone wrong. I don't think there's one, I don't think there's one area you could look at and say, that's why transfers have, that's why recruitment generally has been a but mess. You, you could have turned around and just said two words, Ed Woodward, and that would have been an acceptable answer. <laughs> I would have, I would have yeah, took that. Well, yeah, I mean, that is clearly part of the problem, isn't it? And this is, you know, I've just written a piece saying this, I, I like the way that United have tried to sell it as this was a, you know, Barada was a Joel and Avram Glazer appointments with input from Sir Jim Radcliffe. Like, come on. I mean, we've seen what Joel and Avram Glazer's appointments are. And they're Woodward, they're Arnold, they're John Murta, they're internal appointments aimed at continuity and not continuity of success, continuity of commercial revenue. I mean, the appointment of Omar Barada could not be any further removed from Woodward or Arnold. So the idea that Glazers have had anything to do with this is laughable, really. They're just, you know, this is, he might only own 25% of it, but this is Sir Jim Rackless Football Club now. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The Glazers are just in the bizarre position of being silent majority owners, basically. You've hit the nail on the head when you say the big problem has been buying players for the manager as opposed to the club. And I guess United have been stuck in this cycle every couple of years when a manager leaves and then they inherit players from a former manager who aren't their players and they have to decide to have a role for these players and we're going to move them on. And we just kind of see this squad rebuild over and over again. It just never really took off, has it, unfortunately. If you look at the, the top five signings and the, the most expensive signings, Ty, could you name them to begin with? Pogba, Maguire... Anthony Lukaku Sancho. Correct. Very well done. I'm impressed, Tyrone. You can uh, don't know what the prize I've is. Those but... names enough over the last few years. In, in <laughs> yeah, rightly so. Rightly so. And if you, shame, if, really, if you had it? to rate those signings in terms of best or worst, I know none of them exactly have been fantastic. But I mean, would Anthony have to be at the bottom? We've made the case because I missed you, Tyrone. We used to do the the main podcast together. It's like being going through a little breakup. Yeah, I've had to taunt you online over Newcastle's form over the last few weeks, Stephen. It's just not been the same as doing it in person, to be honest. Yeah, it's always better in person. But I mean, Anthony is probably the worst of those for me. And I don't think that's a controversial statement at all. Um, £86 million, of course, and he's just been absolutely awful, hasn't he? He has, yeah, yeah. It's been disastrous, really. I mean, you're, you're always a little bit reluctant to write off players who are still at the club, but it's just so hard to see anything from him it gives you any hope that there's there's going to be some change. I thought it was really interesting the other week when um, Ten Hag used the personal reasons, the, you know, the excuse basically for, for Anthony's form. I thought it was really interesting that he brought he brought that up. Um, you know, I mean, only Anthony knows how much that has affected him and I'm sure it's affected him in, in some way. It's it's not a great thing to be going through, but, you know, he, he wasn't great last season. I think... I think well, that's the thing. Even before the, these issues came into, into into play, he wasn't great before that. So Yeah, I'm trying to remember what he said in the press conference, but I think, I think Tanag said something like, last season was okay. And I thought, yeah, you know, maybe it was, but okay is not good enough for an £85 million winger. And I, you know, I just don't, I don't really ever see him get into the levels needed for United. I mean, the interesting thing of those five is who's the best? Who's the most successful? I really, I mean, it would have to probably have to you be probably have to see Maguire, and Maguire you know? for me. Yeah, I think maybe you would say Maguire. I think it's between Pogba and Maguire. I mean, Pogba had some really good moments in the United shirt, but the way it ended again was, you know, his, his last kind of 18 months were, 
we're back to being a joke, but he did have some good moments, although he never hit those heights. I'd have, I'd have Pogba first. Sorry, I'd have Maguire first, Pogba second. I think Lukaku, would you agree, he has to be in the middle in the third? Yeah, I think so. I mean, his goal scoring record was okay. Um, he had some good not moments amazing, again. But okay. Yeah, but you look at Sancho and Anthony and what they've contributed in terms of goals and assists and their overall performances has just been so poor. So they have to take the bottom two positions for me. Yeah, I think so. And partly, you know, partly with Sancho especially, just for an excitement factor. The, you know, the hype and the excitement when he arrived. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's, that's not really his fault, I guess, but a young English winger who'd done so much in the Bundesliga and there was just so much excitement at getting to see him playing every week. And yeah, so far it's, it's been a disaster and pretty difficult to see, to see a road back for him. But yeah, you look, I mean, you look at those five, there's the most expensive signings and it's, you know, it's incredible, really, when we're saying Maguire's probably the best of the lot. When you compare it, I mean, Manchester City have an excellent hit rate, don't they? When they tend to splash the cash, they tend to get it right. I mean, Jack Grealish is perhaps the exception of that, but even he's kind of come good eventually in the Pep Guardiola. You compare it to Chelsea, though, Ty, I mean, they've spent a lot of money as well. Is their record particularly that good with really expensive signings? You look at Caicedo recently, Enzo Fernandez. those two have been incredibly disappointing. So it, it, sometimes when teams do spend a lot of money, sometimes it just doesn't work out bizarrely. No, that's, I mean, that's a fair point. It, it, it is no guarantee of success. I mean, Chelsea, Chelsea's approach has been absolutely bizarre, spending huge fees for, for low salaries and stuff like that. Well, the, I mean, the Mid United look shrewd, haven't they? And, and the top have, Bowley, yeah, which is yeah. fascinating. It's, it's, it's still very interesting to see how the whole Bowley thing plays out. You just cannot see how that is ever going to be a success, really. I think it's just a, you know, it's a strange, a strange plan. And, that, that midfield, Fernandez and Caicedo should be dominating the Premier League, but you know they're they're not dominating the Premier League. So, yeah, it is you know spending big money is is absolutely no guarantee of success. You, you've got to spend it right. But like you say, City City's record is is pretty good. I mean, Grealish probably hasn't been a hundred million pound player, but he's had you know he's contributed a lot. I think this season he's been he's been good again this season. I think he was good last season. Got a bit of competition from Doku now. The, the the one kind of fifty million pound plus player for City that you know that I think their last big money failure is probably Mendy who was signed in twenty seventeen who did start really well then had injuries and then had you know well documented off field issues. But if your last failure is seven years ago, that's a it's exactly a pretty excellent yeah. record, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you're not and you it's the wonder of is some of that is part of that the recruitment so good or is it that those players are coming into a really settled team a really settled world-class manager and just are eventually getting it. Producers just mentioned Phillips. I mean, that's probably a fair no, one. It's actually. a fair shout. It's fair. I mean, how much was four, he saying for again? Some, four, so, I think 42, yeah. something like that's, that. That's, so. The thing is, for an English international, that's probably the going rate these days, especially if a player of... Phillips was excellent for Leeds. Yeah, he was. And it wasn't, you know, it's like I say, it's not loads of money. And what are they going to get? About a £7 million loan fee, it seems, maybe 5 to £7 million. I think if he does all right at West Ham, they're probably selling for 25 30 mm. So. It's not going to be, I don't think it'll make a massive loss on Phillips. And it's just, you know, I was on our City pod the other week trying to explain, trying to work out why it's not worked. And I don't think anyone who watches City regularly can actually point to any reason why it hasn't worked. It's just something Guardiola sees that, that we don't. And maybe in a, a simpler structure like at United or Liverpool or whatever, it had been a success. Um, but yeah, they, they just get so few wrong and, and United get so few right, certainly at that like high, highest level price tag. 
Recruitment's continued to be hit and miss on the Ten Hag tie, unfortunately. He's spent over 400 million now, including add-ons in the last two summers. Um, I think it's probably fair to say he's been given kind of the most backing of any manager of the, of the post-Sir Alex Ferguson era. Um, if Mourinho had that kind of support, it would have been interesting to see how he got on. Um, he wanted a centre-half, didn't he? Uh, didn't get it and stuff like that. So uh, you look at some names who have been linked now, and Mathias De Litt, Brian Brubery, um, from the Eredivisie. We can't have more players from that division, surely, because when you look at Tenog's record, he's signed 10 players on permanent deals so far. Six of those players have Eredivisie pedigree, and it's just not worked out. It's just not been good enough. And when you see those names, names linked, you think, please no. Surely. Yeah, I mean, Delic's been linked to United a few times and he's you know, a bit of a strange case. He was phenomenal at Ajax and has probably only been okay at Juventus and Bayern, I guess. There's still a, a world-class centre-off in there, you would think. I think if United... He's, he's never really him, lived up to his potential, though, has he? And it, he's had a lot of injury problems as well, which hasn't helped. It still feels like there's a player in there. I don't think there'd be many people like desperately unhappy at that signing. I mean, Brobby is the one for me that you know, would bring me out in cold sweats if I was a United fan. There's just red flags everywhere with him, isn't there, really? Ticks every box, doesn't it? Ticks every single box. Played under Ten Hag, back at Ajax. Ten Hag tried to sign him for United in his first season in 2022. And, you know, he's still pretty young, but his, his goal scoring record is average, I would say. I mean, he didn't score, since score at all for RB Leipzig in 14 games. And that's a team who create an incredible number of chances. You know, if you're a striker at Leipzig and you're not scoring, you really have got issues gone back to Ajax. I think he got 14 in 44 last year. I mean, he scored at the weekend, didn't he? I don't know if he scored more than once. He's got 13, I think, maybe 13 in 26 this year. I mean, one in two, that's okay. That, that looks like his level, doesn't it? That looks like his ceiling at the moment. He's still not old, to be fair. He's still got years of his, his best years ahead of him. But for me, that looks like a ceiling. Yeah, definitely. And I don't think one in two in, in the Eredivisie is anywhere near enough to make you a Premier League player, to be honest. We've seen players with much better scoring records than that in Holland who haven't made it. Uh, you know, I, I think a one in two striker at Ajax is just par for the course, basically. I mean, Haller was better than one in two and he, he didn't cut it at West Ham. And, you know, I, I, was, I was doing a bit of Robbie research over the weekend and found a piece quoting a few Dutch players. And it was a little conversation between Koeman, De Boer and Van Basten. And all of them said his finishing is poor and his finishing isn't good enough. His finishing isn't consistent enough. I just thought, what, you know, why, surely, I mean, surely Ten Hag is not going to look at him in the summer and think, I know what this team needs, another inconsistent finisher. You know, they need more goals, not someone who is an inconsistent finisher who flopped the last time he left Ajax. It would just be, you know, it makes no sense whatsoever to me. United have got the rough diamond centre forward in Hoyland. They need something different. But it's a massive concern, this, isn't it, Ty, that Ten Hag's got such a preference for these players. And the four players that he signed on permanent deals that haven't played in the Dutch first year. I mean, Casemiro, it could have been a different story because De Jong was supposed to be signed. He was the backup plan, the contingency plan. John Murder pushed for that deal. Uh, Rasmus Hoyland, there's links to Keys Voss there. So... That comes into play. Johnny Evans was only supposed to come in to train, to maintain fitness. He was a pragmatic signing in the end. And then being there as well, who was a necessary signing because they needed the backup goalkeeper. So when you look at it, I mean, there's just a Dutch fingerprints everywhere. Yeah, there, there really is. And I think, you know, that's that's going to be the biggest issue for John Murta when it comes to Railsford's review of, review of football operations that he's clearly just given the manager what he wants. He's a football director who's just agreed to everything that, that Ten Hag wants. And, you know, United have tried to sell it where they, they come up with this list of five potential targets and the manager gets his say. 
And it's just a coincidence that basically all of Ten Hag's former players are on this list of every for every target. I mean, I, I just don't think anyone's buying it, to be honest. And it, it is a major concern. And I, I would imagine that if Ten Hag put Robbie's name up to, to Ineos, then there'd be there'd be red flags straight away. I mean, that's going to be a, a potential source of tension, I think, in, in months to come. See, Tyrone, I suggested that. I mentioned to Samuel on the podcast. I suggested that three months ago, maybe in September. And you and Samuel were like, nah, I can't see that being a tension point, to be fair. But you're both coming around to my train of thinking now. You both kind <laughs> of agree. I don't remember that, that to be fair. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe I did. But I mean, I've seen some quotes from Tanag from April 2022 in Holland when he taken the United job. It was still at Ajax, I think. And he was talking about what he needs to take a job. And he said, I have some conditions and control of transfers is one of them. Well, he's had that at United and it's, it's, not, it's not going well. It's not going disastrously, but it's not going well Samuel either. suggested that he would acknowledge that and probably be aware of it. But I still think knowing egos and kind of who managers are and what it takes to get to that point, he's still going to back himself to sign players. He's not going to turn around and be like, yeah, I'm fine with losing a bit of control. He'll still believe he can be the man to oversee recruitment. Regardless of, totally. his, of yeah. his record of the last two summers, yeah. Totally. I think he'd give up that that kind of veto and that power um, very difficultly. You know, I think he would still want that. I, I don't think Ineos would want him having that. So it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. You know, if someone like um, Dan Ashworth maybe comes in or, or however they restructure the recruitment, how that pans out is, is going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting. Because um, even with Ashworth, is he... You know, is he a talent spotter or is he someone who kind of dots the I's, crosses the T's, knows all the agents and gets the deals done? There's, it, it, you'd almost have Ashworth and then a head of recruitment or a recruitment team generating targets there. And I just think, you know, we've, we've seen what Ten Hag's recruitment is. It's to go back to Ajax, to go back to the Eredivisie and, and sign players he knows. And but, ironically, kudos, the, one of the best players that came out of Ajax in the last two seasons is now at West Ham. Mohamed Kudos, he was fant- he's looked fantastic, hasn't he, in the Premier League? Yeah, he missed a good one. Um, so, and and the, the reality is that most of these players aren't good enough for United. That's why they're playing in Holland in the first place. So he's signing players that just aren't at the level to play for a team that should be trying to win the Premier League title. I think that's that's the the easiest way of putting it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We'll discuss a few injuries now then, Ty. I mean, Maguire, Lindelof, Shaw. I mean, he's on his way back. Obviously, Malassia with his knee. Mason Mount and Martial are all kind of uh, on the sidelines now with little niggles, but we should have a very, we should have a full, fully fit squad very, very soon. And uh, Obviously, Newport this weekend in the FA Cup. I wanted to kind of hone in on Mason Mount, at least because he has had a very mixed start since joining. Uh, it's been difficult for him, hasn't it? And I think not having a defined role, it's not really helped them because... Is he going to play as a number 10 where he played for Chelsea? And he somehow kind of played in the wings as well for Chelsea, didn't he? Um, Tenag wants to play him in a deeper role, but he's not really excelled in that position yet in Manchester. No, he hasn't. Um, you know, it, it was a pretty disastrous start for him. <clears throat> that midfield, as, as Ten Hag imagined it, has never really clicked at the start of the season. And I think, you know, part of that is tactically. Regular listeners will know I've got, uh, I've had major doubts about what Ten Hag's tried to do tactically this season. And 
that midfield of Casemiro, Mount Fernandez just <clears throat> was way too lightweight, way too aggressive in terms of positioning. And it's, you know, maybe this injury in a way will do Mount some good. It gives him kind of a second chance. It gives him a chance to just restart and say, right, you know, that was a false start. That's happened. Let's go again and, and try and build on that. But, you know, how he fits in, maybe having Kovimeni behind him will, will help. But obviously, Casemiro's back fit. So. Well, well, that's the thing. Everyone's kind of looking at that midfield of Casemiro, Minu and Fernandez as the most interesting midfield of the next few months, depending on whether Casemiro is back to himself, to be fair. But where does Mount fill in that role? Because the positions that Casemiro and Minu will be playing are entirely different. They have different skill sets to what Mount's got. Yeah, totally, totally. I, you know, I don't, I don't know where he fits in, really. I mean, if, it, if Casemiro returns and is back to his best, then he clearly starts. And I think you want Mainu kind of in that, in that role next to him, maybe alongside him, having a bit of, a bit of energy and just a bit more off the ball um, rather than focusing on the ball. I think they need to improve off the ball as, as much as anything. And then, yeah, where, where does Mainu fit into that? I mean, he doesn't, I guess. Do you move him out wide? There's, you know, I just, I mean, Garnacho and Rashford have looked okay on the wings recently. Garnacho's looked pretty dangerous on the right. So there's not a clear role for Mainu. How he gets back into the team is, is going to be interesting. I said a few times at the start of the season that Vlad like Mate and Havertz's case were quite similar, that they'd been signed by Arteta and Ten Hag to do jobs that they never did at Chelsea. You know, they Havertz was a false nine at Chelsea, Mate was an, an attacking midfielder or, you know, an, an, an inside winger, an inside forward in a way. They've both been signed to go back to midfield roles that they played a while ago, really. It's been taking time to learn it, but you know, the evidence from Havertz is that maybe that is never going to happen. Um, and, and maybe it's going to be the same thing for Mount. Maybe he's just, maybe this isn't going to happen. Maybe he can't, he either can't get back to that. Or the reason he was so good in that role that he kind of played at Patesse was it was the Eredivisie and, and this is the Premier League. So, you know, is he too similar to Fernandez to, to make that work in a midfield three? I think that's the major question that, that for me, the midfield has been a major issue all season. Too easy to play against, um, too easy to run through. And, if you go back to having Mato Fernandez in the three, I think you maybe have the same issues. So it's going to be interesting to see how, how Tenag sort of sets that up when he has Mount and Casemiro back. Mason Mount going to become Donny van der Beek 2.0. Kind of comes in the club, <laughs> Fernandez is in that position, can't get a kick in that role, drops a bit deeper, can't get a kick there either. And eventually joins Frankfurt on loan, or we joined Everton first because we see Mason Mount at Goodison Park. And, yeah, and, yeah, and I think we could see Mason Mount at Everton actually. Strangely, I can kind of see. <laughs> I can visualise that in my head. Um, you know, That's I, just because of the blue, it's a bit early. Maybe it is. Yeah, maybe it is. You know, I think it's too early to, to be writing him off just yet. You know, he's, he's still he played barely a handful of games for United, really. So, you know, I wouldn't be writing him off just yet. But in this team, this season, I, I still think it's going to be difficult to see where he gets a role. You know, maybe that'll come um, as the season progresses. There's clearly a very good player in there. All the managers he's played under love him. He's been great for England at times. Um, played a hell of a lot for Chelsea, so there's there's a player there, but I just I, I don't see the role that Ten Hag signed him for at the moment. I don't I don't think it's worked tactically, and I'm not sure it's going to work tactically this season. Which is a huge shame because I know it's not really relevant, but the unveiling video when he first signed and stuff, he came across as a really likable individual, 
Um, some players aren't. That's well documented. But around Carradine, I think he carries himself really well. He's popular among staff. So let's hope he comes good because we don't need another uh, disastrous signing to add to the pile. Do we? we certainly don't. Uh, we'll discuss Sancho's quotes then briefly, Ty, to attend this part before you and Sai hop on uh, to discuss Omar Parada. Did you see his quotes recently in his uh, interview with Dortmund's YouTube channel? I did. Yes, yes. He's been very chatty with, uh, he, with Dortmund, he has hasn't been. he? He has been. Well, he was asked to describe, uh, I think for a few words, describe his first stint with Dortmund. And he said, happiness, enjoyment, fun and energy. Could you imagine him describing his time uh, at United as that? He just seemed like a completely different person, really. His whole demeanour, the way he carried himself in that interview. Uh, I can't really recall him speaking like that during his time in a red shirt. Um, I mean, that's probably not surprising because it, it was a disaster. I mean, it still is. It's continuing, isn't it? He's obviously just on loan. Um, but the way he was talking about his time at Dortmund and talking about how much he loves Dortmund gives me the impression he won't be back um, at United time. And it doesn't really help his stock with supporters either. No, definitely not. I mean, I you know, I, I remember, I was going to say the last time I spoke to him, I think it's the only time I spoke to him, was after Leicester away early on in last season when he'd scored the winner. Excuse <coughs> me, had started the season pretty well. And he came over and did the mix zone at a time when United were good at getting players to stop at the mix zone. It's fair to say that that has been a disaster this season. When journalists have talked to him, he is supposed to come across quite well. Yeah, well, he came over and did it. And I think there was maybe three or four of us there with him. And he was, you know, I wouldn't say he was a hugely, he he was a natural, confident talker, but he was interested enough. And then at the end, he shook everyone's hand. You know, I, I can't recall a United player, maybe with the exception of Tom Heaton, I think, after one of the cup games last year, but I can't recall any other United player, you know, going out of the way and shaking everyone's hand. He shook the cameraman's hand, I think it's a cameraman there for Sky. You know, and you thought, oh, that's, you know, that's really it's a classy nice behaviour. Yeah, yeah, footballers do that, do that yeah. yeah. So he finished it and just shook everyone's hand and he scored in that game when there was a sense that he was getting things together and, and looking good under Ten Hag, but, you know, obviously things have gone, gone wrong for him since and he's, you know, it's, it's difficult to know Sometimes you look at quotes and you, you kind of, you read too much into them in a way. You, you're analysing the quotes for, for what's he actually saying there. I can see what he said, but what does he really mean? When maybe he just means that his time at Dortmund was fun, that he enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, know, when you it's... put yourself in his shoes as well, it's relief as well, isn't it? Because he's been out, frozen out for three months, quite literally in the cold, and he's now back at a club where he's played his best football. And it's only natural he's going to say those things, I guess. Yeah, I think so. You know, it's, it's not... It, I mean, who knows? Maybe you, know, you can look at them and you can look at them and think, "Oh, yeah, that's a dig." He clearly wasn't enjoying it at United, and maybe it is, but perhaps more likely, it's it's not a dig at United. He's not even thinking about United in that moment. I mean, just played and set up a goal for Dortmund and had a row about a penalty. Maybe he's just thinking about being at Dortmund. So you know, maybe we shouldn't read too much into them. But yeah, you're right that he, he's clearly not going to describe his time at United. Like that, it's hard to remember too many occasions when it's it's looked like fun for him at United. If you had to uh, describe Sancho's time at United in three words, what would they be? Yeah, you your colours to the mast. Uh, sad, uh, disappointing, uh, and uh, I'm trying to think of like a. a, a clever yeah, I was going to say underwhelming, but it's basically like, disappointing. Yeah, well, I was trying it? to think of one that suggests like. You know, it's not over yet, which is obviously four words. But, you know, maybe, maybe there's more to come. I mean, there's, I, I still think there's no guarantee 10 hours going to be in charge beyond the summer. Maybe that changes things Although, for him. You're about to talk about Barada in the second part of Sai, as we've mentioned. Um, and there's some interesting quotes actually resurfacing from his interview where he talks about if players aren't performing at Manchester City, they're only going to get two seasons and then they're getting moved on. 
Um, you've got to have that ruthless touch if you want to be in a league club. And it's been far too many players at United who have disappointed, that have not made the grade and have stayed around for too long. So that could change with Barada's arrival. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, maybe with Sancho, I mean, it's, you know, there's it, not just water under the bridge with Ten Hag now. It, there's a lot of people at that club he's got, he's got history with now as a result of what's happened over the last four months. <clears throat> and maybe you look at it and think, if he does well at Dortmund and continues to do well at Dortmund, he's a sellable asset in the summer. So maybe the time is right to 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 sell him. And yeah, I think, you know, you're probably right. I mean, players have stayed far too long, haven't they? I think Anthony Martial is the the clearest and most obvious example of that in the current squad. I personally think you should have a testimonial. It'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? Sell out Old Trafford for Martial. One more year, one more, two more years, Anthony Martial, testimonial. I mean, Phil Jones was more deserving of a testimonial. On a, on a, on a serious note, David De Gea really does need one. Uh, obviously, his, his, his last season was disappointing, but he really does deserve one to hear. And it's not it's not been mentioned. He needs a game, doesn't he? Should get him in for five aside. I mean, what's the what's the guy doing? Is he retired or not? This uh... I don't want to talk about five aside after my performance last night. I don't want to mention that. Um, a quick mention. You won't go around kicking people again. That's what you normally do. <laughs> I've got an unfair reputation. I've not heard that one for a while actually because I've not been on the podcast for a few. Uh, a quick mention to Samuel Lucas' newsletter. I believe you can get fifty percent off at the moment. Um, our producer will leave details of that in the description below and you can also find some information on social media um, but for now that's it for me Tyrone you'll be on the second part with uh, Sai, of course to get into Parada so thank you very much and I hope you don't miss us too much Ty because it's been a pleasure speaking to you over the last 28 minutes it has an absolute pleasure as always Stephen I'm sure I'll, uh, I'll speak to you soon after Newcastle's next defeat Welcome back to the Manchester is Red midweek podcast, the Rough and Ready podcast as it is known. Things are about to get particularly rough with a blue, or a blue writer at least, on the uh, on the podcast now. I'll give Simon Bukowski's Wigan roots uh, some respect there. Um, the, the chief Man City writer for the Manchester Evening News who can bring some United insight this week with Omar Barada's uh, shock move to Old Trafford that disturbed our Saturday night. I think it's it's fair to say, Simon, we, we did not need that. I think you were we were speaking on the phone just after you'd put your kids to bed and I was just about to to have to, to have tea with mine. So uh, a pretty chaotic Saturday night, it's fair to say. Yes, yes, it was. It, it was uh, very nice to to speak to you on Saturday night though. You know, it, I don't I don't feel like I get the chance to speak to you enough through the week. Um so so getting the chance to speak on on Saturday was was very nice, and also you know fielding calls as I was trying to put two two kids to bed was uh, a particularly pleasant uh, use of my Saturday. Um, so <laughs> all, all in all, it, yeah, there's there's no good time for stuff to that stuff like that to happen. But um, I mean, you know, we weren't as on the back foot as as certain clubs were at the news. So um, you know, we were able to leap into action. But it did kind of take everyone by surprise. Yes, a good appointment for United, but it did feel like maybe City won the PR war on on that one on on Saturday night. I think it's it's fair to say. Um, I mean, so you've you've you know covered City while while Omar Barada's been there. You've you've dealt with him, Si. I mean, who is he, and and what will he bring to United? I mean, I'm not sure. I need to say who he is. You know, United fans know all about him, despite having never heard of him on Saturday night. Um, you know, he's the one guy that is responsible for all of City's success without being at all responsible for any of the the gross financial allegations they're accused of. So, you know, what a coup. 
Um, more, more seriously, um, yeah, it's a big loss for City. It's um, he, he, he was one of the the senior leadership again. It's been sort of you know war raging between both sides online. I've seen sort of silly things from City fans like, oh, he wasn't part of the big five. Um, now I thought the big five was something to do like on Safari, but um, apparently the big five is, is a new leadership team at City that we didn't know about. Um, until Saturday night, um, which is which is sort of very inconvenient for Omar because he would be number six on on that list, I think. Um, so so he is a top 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 executive that is being uh, poached by United. Uh, <clears throat> um, I would say both uh, the appointment of him and the manner of the appointment of him because. You know, I don't pay as much attention to United as City, but we've heard loads of names popping about as who might be CEO, who might be coming into the team. Barado, there was no sniff of him at all. Um, and then, yeah, just, you know, the news broke on Saturday night. It was officially confirmed. Well, it was confirmed within minutes by by City, really, but it was officially confirmed by United a few, a few hours later. Um, both the announcement and the way they've gone about it is very very impressive yeah very ununited like i think it's it's fair to say we were just saying on part one that this is clearly a an ineos and ratcliffe appointment rather than a glazer appointment and like we say i mean it caught me and you by surprise uh there'd been absolutely no no word of it happening no mention of it happening but clearly a coup and a good appointment someone who knows the commercial and the football side of the business i guess i mean he's head of sponsorship at barca has done similar stuff at city and Seems so. He was a potential candidate to replace Ferran Soriano or Cheeky Bagiristan, I guess, at City, which which kind of shows that he's he knows both sides of the business, doesn't he? Yeah, and you know, I think he said it before, but you've got the football side of the club, and then you've got the business side of the club, and they're kind of stratospherically different. But somehow you have to kind of join the two. And you know, at City, you have Ferran Soriano on one side, and you have Cheeky Bagiristan on the other, and you know, both understand each other and both know each other well, but both have also been helped massively in the last few years by Omar Barada kind of being in the middle with them. You know, he has come up through City on the the, the financial side, the sponsorships and partnerships and those kind of deals, um, you know, that have all helped City build their revenue, um, you know, which some people have questioned. Um, but he has been responsible for that success in City's eyes. Um, and then in the last few years, he has worked kind of more closely with Chiki Bagiristan and, you know, the importance of um, City's recruitment and all the words that you've started to hear about now, Chelsea have gone crazy like amortisation and, you know, the, the sell-on clauses that United have started to um, uh, follow City's approach in doing. Um, and so he has been a really integral member of the team. And yet, you know, we don't know whether he would have succeeded Ferran or Cheeky, just as nobody knows who will succeed Pep, but he was certainly extremely well thought of in the conversation and an extremely important part of the business. Um, you know, City are strong enough as a business and as a collective that they will still have success without him but you know the the real question for united i think now is 
um, how they build around him because United have employed many, many good people at this football club over the last decade. And, you know, they've employed many, many good managers and they've not been able to have success because of the system around it. So Barada is a hugely important kind of building block, but he will only be successful if there is more to come. And, and how has the move been viewed by people at, at City? How has losing him to United gone down? What's, what's the view at City over it? Yeah, I mean, the sort of public response has been bullish. You know, the, we don't need him. We will keep on going without him. And also, um, you know, United taking our staff is just like any other club coming, seeing the best in best team in the world, best club in the world, seeing that and wanting a piece of the action, try and recreate it. Um, you know, good luck to Omar. He'll be missed, but we'll carry on winning. Thanks very much. Um, behind the scenes, there has obviously been work to you know, make sure that the the responsibilities that Omar had will be will be covered, and you know, there's an, there's, there is an acceptance that he'll be he'll be missed because um, he was so so important to the to the running of the football club and the smooth running of the football club. Um, so you know, I think I know some fans have sort of a bit upset that anyone would cross the uh, divide and go from from blue to red. Um, so. But, you know, it is is ultimately a promotion for him. Um, but kind of the other way that City are seeing it is that it's not really a move to a rival. It's a move, you know, from being a part of a very well-run organisation to, you know, trying to make an organisation that isn't very well-run and trying to turn that around. Um, so although he will be operating in similar markets in terms of sort of financial deals and um well, I don't know how how much involvement he will have in player recruitment at all, whether he'll have any say, but you know, he, he does have knowledge of that, but um it, it is a very different project at Manchester United than it is at Man City. Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting City framing it in in terms of you know Jason Wilcox and and, and Scott Mann going to Stampton and, and Tottenham. And I guess it's inevitable that when your football operation is is the gold standard, as I think City would call it, people are going to look to get some of that knowledge. It's 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 kind of similar in a way to to team signing City's academy players. They they hope that some of that magic is is going to rub off elsewhere. I mean, what was what was your view of the move? I guess as well, you know, from from your perspective, can you see why he's done it? Can you see why he's why he's gone and why he's left City? Because what? Well, I mean, what they've built there at City is is phenomenal, isn't it? Well, you know, you cover them every day. I cover them a fair bit. It must be an incredible place to work. Um, and what he's jumped into is a mighty challenge. But I guess one that the person who gets it right at United eventually, it's going to feel hugely rewarding for, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, and, you know, he is always someone who is who is looking for challenges and looking to sort of take risks and, and succeed in them. You know, he's someone who really enjoys um, taking a risk and making it work himself. Um, you know, if if you or I were offered the chance of a job somewhere else where we got more money and we didn't have to relocate, we could stay exactly where we are. Uh, you know, we would still stay close with our former colleagues and um, we could, you know, be have a bigger role at the heart of something that might be exciting in the next five or 10 years, I think we might take it. And I think anyone else might take it in that, 
in that position. So, you know, the, the real surprise at City is why people stay so long. Kind of, and I know it's, um, you, it, it is a great position to be in, and it's a great um, business where you just keep on finding the best things, but it, it's also kind of hard. And, you know, when it's like the players, when you've won one, two, three, four, five Premier Leagues in six years, like, do you want a new challenge elsewhere? Because there's plenty of people offering them. Um, you know, City have lost two assistants in the summer. Uh, one went off to be Leicester manager, the other's a sporting director in MLS. Um, and now, um, you know, a top executive. And, you know, they've lost a, a number of other good executives as well um, in various parts of the business because you do want a new challenge in life. So um, I, I think there will be, there's obviously disappointment from City that, that Omar has, has gone. Um, and some kind of some anger from fans that he's he's gone to United, uh, but it it to me it's understandable um, for for someone who is who is looking to the, the next be- best thing. And the thing is, if he you know th- there's a chance he could have succeeded Soriano or Bagirison, right? There's a good chance, but there the, Pep's there till at least 2025 summer. Um, you know, arguably they're there for longer to try and ensure the succession plan beyond Pep goes as smoothly as possible. So do you want to wait around for that? Or do you, you know, take your, take your chance and you, and you jump and earn your big promotion while you can? Yeah, that's, that's the, the difficulty, isn't it? It's a, it's a dilemma I tussle with every day, Si. Um, <laughs> Inundated with offers. Oh, yeah. the offers. You wouldn't believe the offers coming my way. Um, <laughs> I, I guess... You know, the, the, the last kind of thing to touch on, you mentioned it before, the charges, the, the 115 charges, uh, an interesting time to move in in that regard. I guess United fans will want to know, is he, a, is he a faithful or is he a traitor? <laughs> well, I got absolutely barracks online for, uh, for saying that, um, yes, he was in fact involved with these deals um, that are under scrutiny, but he was, he was a big part of it. He didn't join at the start of, when the alleged um, offences are meant to have taken place, but he was, you know, either United have hired a director of partnerships who was involved in the partnerships that the uh, the Premier League have questioned, or he was a director of partnerships who had no idea about the partnerships he was signing. So if you're going to give United the credit to say that they've signed a director of partnerships who knew what partnerships he was signing, um, then you have to take into account that he is involved um, and there will be some heat on him uh, if City are found guilty. And, you know, there will be loads of heat on City if they're found guilty because it would be one of the biggest sporting scandals ever. But there will be also loads of heat on United because there's more heat on United than there is on City generally. Um, you know, if the new shiny appointment of the Ratcliffe era turns out having to be sacked because he's involved in gross fraud or he's been involved in gross fraud a year down the line, that is going to look terrible on United and bring them loads of heat. So, you know, I think if you're looking at it rationally, you would have to assume that uh, Ratcliffe and others have looked into this, weighed it up and... I think, well, either they're being super cynical and they think we can get what we can out of Barada now 
and then even if he leaves, um, even if we have to sack him, we can still kind of get the genesis of it. But I don't, I, I don't really think that's the that would be the case. And I think in part because United would still get so much heat um, and so much kind of negative coverage for that. Um, I think you have to assume that they've looked at it and think that Arada will be fine, which in which case City will probably be fine as well. Yeah, I mean, it is a fascinating side narrative to this appointment, isn't it? That Barada's going to start in the summer, we believe. City's case is, is probably going to be heard at, at some point next season or towards the end of next season. I mean, he's going to be in place at United, I guess, when that trial, when that hearing is is taking place. There might be times where he's working for United, but is is required to to help with City's defence in some way or to answer certain questions as they, they put their defence together. I mean, it's going to be... You know, behind the scenes, it's going to be a very interesting year or so, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and it'll probably all come out by sort of, you know, I think the aim is before the end of the 24-25 season. So, you know, he will have only been in place at Old Trafford for a season um, by then, or, or less than if that's when the initial verdict comes out. So, um, I yeah, I think um, the idea that he's jumping ship is... Um, just nonsense and the idea that he wasn't involved in any of the the partnerships um is is nonsense um so you have to kind of look at it and think you know jim ratcliffe and co are, are smart guys and will have thought about this a lot and, and it might be that you know they just don't see the teeth in the independent panel or or something like that but um he but yeah omar will um be I would imagine very pleased when that hearing is out of the way because then, you know, any suspicion or anything like that goes away from away from him. But in the meantime, I imagine he'll be very, very busy working on, on United first and foremost. Definitely. That's great. Thank you for, for joining us, Si. Thanks for your insight. A pleasure. I would say any time, but I doubt you'll have me back on. So. <laughs> well, for anyone who's enjoyed listening to Si, he's on the Talking City <laughs> podcast every week, so... Feel free to, to go and listen and subscribe. Don't don't all click at once. Uh, you can get us again on Friday before United's trip to Newport County in the fourth round. The producer's just saying that the next Manchester derby is is the next chance for Manchester Red listeners to get their fill of of Simon Bukowski. So uh, keep keep uh, keep tuned till then. Keep subscribing to them. I will be back. Indeed, set reminders in your phone. Sai will be back on uh, crossing the divide once again, Omar Barada style, style, just with with slightly less funding behind him. Um, But the Manchester Red podcast will be back later this week to preview United's trip to Newport County and then on Monday to hopefully dissect what you would imagine would be a routine win. But uh, but we will see. I I did Newport with City a few years ago, actually, and, and that was... That wasn't a routine win. I seem to remember being 2-1 or 3-1. I think Newport scored at the end and it was, uh, yeah, it was a tricky a tricky trip, that one, it's fair to say, in, in more ways than one. And I think me and... Um, I me seem and, to remember journalists having a hissy fit because they couldn't get into the media entrance. Yes, indeed. It was me and uh, Stu Brennan <laughs> who, who did it, the now departed Stu Brennan. And uh, yeah, we, we couldn't departed get the media from entrance. the MEN rather than the world. Yes, yes. He's still, he's still, he's still with us, thankfully. He has just left the MEN. Um, yeah, we, we couldn't get in until two hours before kickoff. And I mean, in the end, that proved to be a bonus because we had to sit in the stands with laptops on our knees and no power. So the, the magic of the FA Cup, I believe they call it. It's, it's not necessarily the word I'd choose. But um, 
it'll be an interesting game, I'm sure. But Samuel and Stephen with you on Friday to, to look ahead to that. Remember to leave us a like, subscribe, all that usual stuff, a five-star review. Uh, give our, our special guest a big review as well. And that's all for now. We'll be back on Friday. So we'll speak to you then.